Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Welcome. Easter Sunday. My name is Mark, part of the team at this amazing church and it's a real privilege to have you if you're visiting. It is wonderful to have you with us. Um, I have a confession right up front. So it's always good to be honest. I have a thing for one of the dancers. <laughs> just um, started 16 years ago, and I still have a thing for her, and I'm really grateful to God. I love Easter Sunday. To be honest, I love every Sunday. And, and it's for many reasons. One of them, when I was a kid, Sunday was the day I got treats. I don't know if that was your story. It was only Sunday I would get a treat. So Sunday was like a highlight. Sunday, I still get treats. I get to worship with men and women from different backgrounds, different stories, different everything. We come together and we worship the King of Kings who makes us one because of his blood, because of his love. That's every Sunday. That's every day. Every day is Easter Sunday. Every day we celebrate But it's been an amazing weekend. I said to someone, it feels like the never-ending weekend since Friday, Thursday night practices, Friday, we had a couple of services, and Good Friday was amazing. It's the day you remember. It's the day that's a little bit quieter as you remember the cross, you remember the beatings, you remember the whippings, you remember everything that was done to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. I trust it wasn't just in the service. You took a moment to remember. I trust you've taken many moments over the weekend just to remember to silence some of the other voices, silence some of the other things, and remember that God sent His Son. And today is the day we celebrate. It's the day heaven came to earth in the form of a man, in the form of a child, born through, the, through natural means in a woman's birth canal, coming to earth, living in the constraints of a womb. God sent heaven into earth, into the womb of a woman, so that heaven could keep touching earth. That's what we believe. That's what Easter Sunday is about, that heaven keeps touching earth because a Savior, Jesus, came. He lived a perfect life, died the death we couldn't, and then rose again. Welcome to Easter Sunday. And maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're not sure why you're here. Maybe granny or mom bribed you with lunch. If that's you, just put your... No, don't put your hands up. Mom wouldn't take kindly. Maybe you've been bribed. Maybe you're here and and you really don't want to be here, but there's a really good lunch waiting for you afterwards. I am so stoked that you are here, and I trust the lunch is amazing, but I trust that you are able to hear of the Savior who loves you, who poured his heart out, his life out for you. Maybe this is your once or twice a year visit to church, and it's Easter and it's Christmas, and it is so amazing that you chose to join us this morning. I thank you, and, and we honor you guys here. Really wonderful to have you. Or maybe you're on a journey of trying a whole bunch of solutions. There's, there's a whole bunch of possibilities out there. And, and on your journey of searching, you've landed at church at Easter. And, and you're looking for an answer. You're looking for a solution. Maybe you're in the belly of a whale like Jonah was. And you've got no way out. You've got no options out. And you're looking for a savior. Really, it's wonderful to have you. Or maybe you, like millions around the world... And like myself as a teenager for a number of years, you're just asking this question. What if it's true? What if it's true? What if God isn't this big judge who just wants to judge us and beat us and has all these rules and regulations? What if he is 
the one who sent his son to die because he loves us? What if it's true that a savior came and died a death I couldn't die? What if it's true? Because the implications of that question are huge. And if you are here today and you're asking, what if it's true? I trust you encounter Jesus. See, we, we love the church and the church is amazing, but the church cannot save you. Sorry. And as good as the meetings are and as much as effort as people put into dancing, I've learned it's amazing. If you want to do a dance, you just do this move. That's the move. I've watched many church dances, that one. But amazing dance moves and amazing services cannot do what you are looking for. And it won't answer the question, what if it's true? An encounter with Jesus will. And um, it's a real privilege to have you here this morning. I want to read one scripture and then pray for us. It's from 1 Peter 1. Verse 3, what a God we have, how fortunate we are to have him, the father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and had everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. So Father, precious Jesus, Holy Spirit, as we come this morning, we just say, wow, wow, God. Wow, that on Friday, those words still ring in my ears and my heart. It is finished. I pray, God, that those words would ring out and keep ringing out of us, over us, every day, every moment, for the people who are at the mountaintops of life, to the people who are in the valleys of life. I pray those words would continue to ring out throughout eternity. It is finished. And then would you begin to whisper as the winds begin to blow. The future starts now. New life is possible. Because of your splendor and your majesty, I pray, God, for some today, it's just a moment, there's a flame burning, it's, it's, it's a flickering flame, but it wants to burn into a, a flame that burns brightly. Would zeal and passion arise in some hearts, Lord? Would you turn up the heat, I pray, God? For some, it's decisions that were made as teenagers, as 20-year-olds, as 30-year-olds. Would those decisions turn into actions and transformation as your gospel breaks in? And for some, maybe some are asking, what if? What if it's true? What if it's real? And what if it's for me? I pray, Jesus, would you reveal your grace, your glory, your goodness to each one today. We worship your King. Amen. If you have your Bibles, won't you turn to Revelation chapter 1? If you don't know where that is, that's right at the end. And this is the moment, if you invited your friends, you're going, why today? Why is he preaching from Revelation today? He can do it 51 other weeks of the year, but he chooses Easter, the day I brought my mom. Relax. Everyone stay calm. We all okay? Good. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. People get really nervous when they hear the book of Revelation. Maybe you hear today and it's like, I've seen that movie left behind. I know it's not the script of Left Behind. Stay calm. It's actually a great story revealing a great king. And um, 
But one of, the, one of the funny quotes I found about the book of Revelation is said it, it was indigestion at best or insanity at worst. But it's in the Bible. I want to tell you that it's not the script of a Kirk Cameron movie. You know Kirk Cameron? He's like the Brad Pitt of Christian movies. You know that guy? Some of you are getting the image. It's like all the Christian movies is Kirk Cameron. He's there. He's running because he's a fireman in the next movie. And the next movie is like all these things. He's like the Brad Pitt of Christian movies. He, he's potentially not as good looking, maybe not as good an actor, but he's a really nice guy. Just my opinion. I'm not a movie buff. But it is, um, it's not his story. It also, Revelation is not how it all plays out. And some people to like to take the third word of the third chapter, and if you take that and multiply it by the fifth word, in the fifth chapter you'll get the coordinates of where Jesus is going to land. Wow. It's not that. Just saying. Doesn't tell us that that's happening. And I have told you before, I, I, I don't know if I'm a pre-millennialist or all these millennials, but I'm a pan-outist. Everything's going to pan out in Jesus. And so stay calm because this book is not a mystery. The first five words, give it all away. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, the risen king, the glorious one, the one who is not on the cross anymore. Sometimes we get caught, and I love the cross, and I'm captivated by the cross, and I love remembering the cross, but I have to remember he's not on the cross anymore. He's alive. He's risen. He is victorious. He is seated on his throne in majesty and power, and I get caught up with that king. I get captivated with that king, and I begin to live a life that he gives. It's one of 66 books. Every one of those books and every line of those books is about one, Jesus. Jesus. It's a vision of Jesus, the risen king. Can we read? And, and the writer, the translator, the guy who's given the vision is this guy. He becomes the apostle John, and he writes about this Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, who's him? Jesus. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing was made without him. At the very center of the Christian faith, at the very center of everything we're on about, at the very center of, of people putting energy in, we normally have windows, they're not there this weekend, they are there still, I promise you. Someone put effort in to do that, why? Because at the center of everything, we want people to be able to worship Jesus. Sorry, I don't know why everyone's looking at the windows, there's no windows. That's amazing, where did they go? But people put energy in. Why, why do people get you early to practice for you? Why do people prepare? Why do guys put effort? Why did a team say, we're going to leave the comforts of this and go back and do church in a school hall? Because at the center of everything, at the very essence of who I am, at the very center of every story that ever existed, is this person, the Savior named Jesus. I'm convinced. So the right question I'm a guy that believes it's not about having all the answers. It's about asking really good questions. I think the right question for Easter is who is this Jesus? Who is this one they sing about, the King of Glory? Who is he? And once I've asked the question, well, who is he? I have to ask the question, well, who is he to me today? 2016. See, we all have our favorite version of Jesus. You see it when you speak to people and they start telling you. And then the one guy gets caught up and, and he's all about Good Friday. It's, it's Jesus on the cross. And, and these are the guys who watch The Passion like six times a year. It's just they love that movie. 
They love them. And that's okay. It's amazing. It's glorious. It's beautiful. Then you get Christmas Jesus, people. It's like baby Jesus. We love baby Jesus. It's, that's my guy. Baby Jesus. And that's okay. Maybe your Jesus is Greenpeace Jesus or, or long hair Jesus or tattoo Jesus. The only Jesus that matters is what the Bible says about him. And it's the full story from the beginning to the end. And what happens in Revelations is Jesus, in a vision, in a moment, he wants to reveal something to the churches and to the, to the people. You see, the church where they had these ragged bunch of people who were going out there preaching the gospel, and in a couple hundred years, the gospel has taken over the world, but he needs to give them courage, so he gives them a vision, a picture of something that is coming, of the glorious one seated on his throne, and he comes back to the one named John, his best friend on earth, the one who in the moment when Jesus on the cross says, today becomes your mother, he's speaking about his mother, he says, John, will you look after my mother, and John takes his mother into his home, he loves this man. He loves this man, and he reveals something amazing. He takes him into an encounter of heaven. It's incredible. See, I want to tell you that it's not just enough to know about Jesus. We're designed to encounter Jesus, not to encounter religion. Can't help you. You can do everything right. I promise you will never, ever meet all the standards and the statutes and 100% of the law. You can spend your life giving everything to do it all right, and you will not meet the grade. Sorry to tell you. Won't bring life, but to encounter Jesus. And in Revelation 1, we're going to go to verse 12, is an encounter with Jesus. And I just want to look at three things that this encounter speaks about, about who Jesus is. Because I want to help you answer those questions. Who is Jesus? Who is he to me? Verse 12. Everyone okay? I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Mark, why would you read the scripture the day I brought my parents? Because it's not about our image of Jesus. And, I, and if, if your image of Jesus that gets stuck, that, that you hold to, and the Savior that you hold to is just a little baby in a crib, it's like, oh, cute. I want to tell you it's not enough. Point number one about Jesus is he's pretty terrifying. He's pretty terrifying. John has this vision. He's on the island of Patmos. He's this guy. He's walked with Jesus for three years. For three years, he's his best friend. He's fallen in line. He's gone on the journey with John. He knows Jesus. He thought he knew Jesus fully. And unfortunately, at the end, when it all happened, he was like the other disciples. He also ran, and the light got dimmer. But he gets pulled into this vision, and who does he see? He sees Jesus. But not Jesus, just the man walking on earth. Jesus, his friend. Jesus, the one he probably had secret handshakes with and had meals with. This is Jesus in heaven 
with all authority and power, above all others. So glorious and so majestic, he's unable to describe him perfectly, so he uses pictures and imagery to describe what he sees so that we can go on the journey to see Jesus. And this man encounters his friend of three years, and he is so overwhelmed, he is so overcome by the glory and the weight and the purity and the holiness and the abundance of his majesty that he falls down and acts as though he's dead. This is his friend. Why would he do that? Why would that be the case? Why would he fall down? Because this is Jesus, the, man, the God-man glorified, the radiant, beautiful, holy, and pure Jesus. His hair is white as wool. Speaking of his wisdom, his, his unbelievable dignity, his purity, the one who was without sin, his purity, his majesty, different to, to the earth. Isaiah 53 speaks of Jesus. It had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. See, often when we, when we keep Jesus as our picture, as our little story, we don't get caught up with the majesty and the one because there's nothing that attracts us to him. Well, he's just like me. And you get onto these weird theologies and these journeys. Well, Jesus is just like me. It happens in the church sometimes. We go and, well, well Jesus is just like me and we make God like us. He's not like us. We are made in his image, and we are designed to be growing in that image and becoming more and more like him. But when we make him like us, we lose something of the wonder and the majesty and the glory of who this risen Savior is. His eyes like blazing fire. See, most of us love Song of Songs when it's describing and it's speaking of a Jesus. It says his eyes are like doves by the water streams. Some of you use that for your husbands, hey? Eyes like doves. You write that in the Christmas card. But, but you prefer that. We prefer that. This, this gentle Jesus, so gentle. With, and yet John has a vision and puts in this last story to us, something to take us on a journey to see him. He says his eyes are like fire. A blazing fire is a terrifying thing. We've seen it on the mountains. You can sit here and you can see the fire burning on the hills and there's a terrifying reality. It cannot be controlled. You can't withstand it. It's not a great thing when someone has eyes of blazing fire until they're on your team. You know, when you, you pitch up at like a five-a-side soccer and they're choosing sides and you look at the one guy who's got crazy eyes. He's got like those crazy eyes. You're like, I want that guy on my team. He's on your team. Whew. It's like crazy eyes. But this is not Jesus. He says eyes like blazing eyes. Eyes that see past the, the facades of our lives. See past the masks of our lives. They see past the lies we've held for, for year after year after year. They see past the, 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 the projections that we put out to people. Those eyes see past all of that. They see deep inside here. The recesses, the darkness. Those eyes of blazing eyes see deep, deep inside. His feet, like bronze, glowing in a furnace. And any time the Bible speaks of feet, it speaks of authority. It speaks of a standing. It speaks Jesus is not easily moved. I think sometimes when we water down Jesus and say, well, that's my version of Jesus, or that's my version of Jesus, we kind of think we can move him easily. We can influence him. We can shape him. Well, God obviously is going to respond. I mean, so we hang on a line like, God loves me. So, well, I can do whatever I want. And we forget the image that John brings, that part of Jesus' character, part of him is, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. 
says his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And, and I don't see a sword coming out that's fighting. It's just, it's a sword that can cut to death or cut to life. With one word, he says, let it be, and it is. With one word, Jesus in God-man form and shape on a ship says, let it be still, and, and the storm settles, and the waves drop, and the winds drop. Be still, just two words. Those same words can speak life or death. They can cut to life or they can cut to death, like a two-edged sword. It says his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And I love singing the song, your face outshines the brightest sun. Jesus, you're glorious. But when I'm confronted with the glory and the wonder of Jesus, like John, part of me wants to fall on my face and act dead because it feels like it can look right through me. Don't know if you've ever encountered, I remember being 15, wrapped up with all sorts of brokenness and thoughts in my head, but I went to church. And I used to avoid, you know those guys? One of them was the guys coming to visit us in a couple of weeks. His name was Rory Dye. He's six foot three, and he's the sort of guy you go up to, you're like, flip, I bet you can read my mail. You know those guys? He knows what's going on there. So you check those oaks, and you know where your head went the night before, and you know the thoughts, even coming to church. Hey, I hope that book is there. You can laugh at church. And you've got all these weird thoughts, and you, you come in, and you walk in, and you see the guy, and it's Rory, and like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that guy. I'm going to sit over here, just in case he sees what's in my heart. But let me tell you about the God who, who is glorious, whose face outshines the brightest sun, who can see, and his light shines into any darkness, and darkness has to flee. This is Jesus. And if you, if you love baby Jesus, that's awesome. I also love that story. And if you love Jesus, who fights for the poor. I love that Jesus. But let us not lose who Jesus is today, seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. Question. Maybe you hear that story and go, how can that God love us? How can that God love us? I want to tell you, we're all fearing something. Every person. Maybe right now you are gripped with fear because everyone in your family has had cancer and that thing is gripping you. Maybe you're gripped with the future and what's happening in our country and maybe hope isn't alive in you because of everything that's going on and I'm just a victim in the story. Maybe fear is gripping you. I want to tell you the Bible says the beginning of fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me get it right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To stand amazed. And it's not this cowering, and, and, and I'm going to explain to you, the story gets better so some of you can breathe again. Just go, inhale. But it's, there's an aspect of, if I don't have a healthy fear, a reverence, an awe, a surrender to the glory and the wonder of Jesus, then I haven't seen him. Because to see him brings life. Anyone encouraged? <laughs> I was really nervous for that whole part. Point number two. The same Jesus is merciful and gentle. And John, his friend, walks in in this vision, encounters Jesus. He's so overcome, he falls on his face and acts dead. Don't know when last you did that. It's like when you're faced with a black rhino in a game reserve and it's you and the black rhino just... But, but John does this with his friend. 
Because what happens when you come into the presence of God, you can't help but feel exposed. You can't help but feel every mask is pulled off. Come back. You can't help but feel every cloth that you put over your, your dirty rags that really exist are exposed. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, expecting to be struck down, expecting to be judged. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. John, a sinner just like us. John, a man with brokenness. John, a walk this earth. John, whose eyes would have fallen at times. John, whose mouth would have let him down at times. John, who, who would have walked away. John, who didn't jump in and say, that's my Savior when he was on the cross. That John comes into the presence of God. And with all his brokenness, all his things, Jesus, who should strike him down because he is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous, doesn't do that. He places his right hand on him and says, do not be afraid. See, when you would come into the, John would have expected something different in part because he would have known the Old Testament. He would have seen the writings and where priests would go into the Holy of Holies, they would cower into the presence of God with a rope tied around their ankle because they would get struck down by the glory and the wonder of who God was. And when they, when they died, they would be pulled out so the next guy can go in with a rope around him. But that doesn't happen here. Why? Because the Jesus who is seated on his throne is both terrifying and merciful. And loving. Jesus the fearsome becomes Jesus who reveals himself as merciful. His right hand of love. His right hand of friendship. His right hand of kindness. His right hand of understanding. His right hand placed on his friend. If the Bible is right, we'll all have a day like John had. Maybe you don't believe that. Maybe, maybe Revelation is just a story. Maybe that, that this whole thing doesn't make sense to you. But I, I believe the Bible. And if there is a question you've got to answer, you've got to say, will there be a day when I will come face to face with this Jesus? And what will determine, what will be the factor that determines that I get the right hand of love and not the judgment of a holy and righteous king? See, in that moment, it won't matter how spiritually upright you are. It won't matter. It won't matter. I, I was driving the other day. My boys learned to read. He saw the 70 sign. I was doing 90. I apologize. He says, Dad, you're doing 90. I'm like, you're seven. Keep quiet. And, <laughs> but even if I'd never gone over the speed limit, if I've never done anything, none of that will matter in the glory and the overwhelming wonder of Jesus because he is perfect. See, everything in that moment, the behind-the-scenes mark will get shown. We've all got the highlights reel we put out. Sometimes we're really good at showing that at church. Let's be honest. It's church. Get my best clothes on. I got all my fancy kit on. How's life? Top of the hill. Life is good. Dandy, dandy. Amazing. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, inside, there's brokenness. Behind the scenes, inside, there's despair. There's depression. And we project this highlights reel. Jesus will see beyond the highlights reel into the behind-the-scenes story. And we know we can't fool him. He sees all of us, and we get to bring that self in that moment. But, but who was John to receive this love? Surely, you know, and, and, and some, the Catholic Church call him Saint John. Surely he was a saint. That's why he received this love. I'm different. I wouldn't receive that love. Well, let me tell you who John was. 
in one or two examples. He, he was one of Jesus' disciples who Jesus poured his love into. But when they went on a mission trip, and ha- does this sound like a saint? Goes on a mission trip with Jesus, and they don't welcome Jesus, it says in Luke 9, verse 53, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Does that sound like a saint to you? Let's go on a mission trip, Jesus. We're walking with Jesus. Oh, they don't want Jesus. Burn them, Lord. Burn them. Burn them. Come on, Jesus. And Jesus goes, what? See, the reality, I'm like that. Without Jesus' love, without his heart, without his spirit and burning inside me, I am judgmental. Without that spirit and die, I'm possibly arrogant. I'm a whole bunch of things outside of Jesus' love. You are too. And there are moments and then times and you just have to be on Facebook for one day and it's burn them. And you're on Christian comment lists. And the heart of God is going, ah. One more example about maybe who this, this, this self-righteous John might have been. He wasn't this all the time, but he manifested. He was the guy when, when he, he wanted a good seat next to Jesus. You know, we all want the good seat. He gets his mommy to go and speak for him and his butt, to say, Jesus, could you give them a good seat in heaven? He gets mommy. Now, that doesn't sound like someone burning with passion and fire for Jesus. That sounds like a wimp. So maybe you don't identify with the self-righteous, judgmental John, but I promise you, all of us, in some moments, in some areas of our lives, are wimps. We wimp out of relationships because they're too tough. We wimp out of community sometimes because it's too tough to face up. We wimp out of situations. We back down. We get smaller. We allow the enemy to push us back in the cave that Jesus called us out of and because we're wimps. Sometimes. That's who John was. That's who Jesus places his right hand on. So we can throw out the excuse, well, John was better than me. Can we do that together? Jesus reveals his love and mercy to those with brokenness in their hearts and the whims of the world. The last point, the most important point, the reason we celebrate is he is the victor over sin and death, and he's alive. Verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus made it possible for a guy like John, a guy like me, and a guy or girl like you to enter into his presence with confidence, not cowering before the glory of Jesus. He made it possible because he holds the keys. Maybe today you feel like someone who stole something from you when you were seven years old holds the keys of your life, and I'm telling you it's a lie. I'm telling you it's a lie. There is no man or woman or situation or circumstance higher than Jesus. Takes the keys from Jesus. Jesus holds the keys today. See, dead men, spiritually dead, physically dead, relationally dead, emotionally dead, keep coming alive because Jesus holds the keys, because he's alive, because he got up out of that cave and walked this earth. See, for 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, who for 30 years lived the perfect life, had three years of public ministry, and the cows kept wanting more. He didn't start Jesus' intellectual ministries, TV shows. He didn't do that. He started preaching about his kingdom. It said it's totally different. Love your enemy. 2 Corinthians 5 answers for us 
Why, why did God do it? And the message says it this way. God put the wrong on him, on Jesus, who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. The only reason, the only reason I will spend eternity with the Father is Jesus. And those robes he wore, the robe of righteousness, he takes off, he places on you and me with all our brokenness and all our sin and all our mess-ups and all our wimping out. He places it on us. And that is the only reason. The gospel isn't a gospel of go clean yourself up. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've believed that and you didn't even hear it. You just assumed it because you've encountered Christians. You've kind of projected that to you. I want to tell you the gospel is not about go and work harder, try harder, and clean yourself up. It's a gospel of Jesus paid the price. Hope is alive because Jesus said two words, fear not. Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, Romans 8. That is the hope that is alive. I don't hope in my good works. I don't hope in my ability to do this. I don't hope, I hope in Jesus. Keeps us walking. It's the same hope. It's, and, and Jesus says, fear not, because we default to fear. The moment the disciples were on the ocean and the seas were raging, he had to say, do not be afraid. It's the same, he's calling them to the same thing that he calls us to ongoingly through this vision, through this moment in his presence. I want to tell you this morning, John 3.16, that whether you're a Christian, atheist, Muslim, you generally can quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I love verse 16. But I absolutely love verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. He sent Jesus to save the world because of his great, great love. Maybe that one thing, if that one thing could get in your heart, that God is a God who sent his son because he loves you. Let that explode your heart. He came to pursue you. And we saw all those faces, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, incredible generals, incredible freedom fighters, great inventors like Edison, even other people like Mahatma Gandhi who did amazing things. Every one of them died and not one of them rose again. Come as you are. Two categories today for most of us. The first one, let's call it the religious. Maybe you think you're in that category. I don't mean it as a compliment. It's all my good works. My hope is alive because of my good works. Please understand, the Bible says our good works are like filthy rags in the presence of Jesus. Maybe on the other side, it's the rebellious. It's I've run off the hedonism. I've run off all these things. I've run off the pleasures. Please understand that those won't ever satisfy you. You are designed to be satisfied by one. It's in the very essence of who you are. His name is Jesus. And like John, a man with prejudice and brokenness, Jesus says, I will, all who are thirsty, come and drink. Just come. 
Jesus says, I'll forgive you. I'll wash you clean. My ways are not your ways. See, our ways are to remember. Our ways are judgmental. He says, my ways are not your ways. He says, come, repent. Choose me. Turn your vision to me. Don't miss a thing about the cross today. I'm calling you. Jesus drank a cup we couldn't drink. A cup of wrath. A cup that separated from the presence of God so that we could enter with boldness. We don't have to come like John did, cowering and fall on our fears. We, we don't need that. We can come with confidence and knowledge that Jesus is alive. That he came not to condemn, but to free, to love. That he is terrifying, but he's merciful in his love and he holds the keys of life and death. And he keeps shouting these things over eternity, paid in full. Can we close our eyes for a second? Is that all right? Hebrews 6 says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. Do you have this hope today? Maybe you've made decisions before, but you've kept falling back. I want to tell you, John kept falling back. Every one of the disciples were failures. They left Jesus. They dropped him. They betrayed him. Everyone. But the news of Sunday is that because he's alive, stamped over my life, stamped over your life, and stamped over eternity, is this truth and this statement paid in full. We don't have to come in and cower because we know he is fearsome. We come in before a father because we know he is merciful. And when he looks at us, he doesn't see the brokenness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus, the love of Jesus. He sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees the abundance of that grace. And the father is captivated by that. Just as our heads are bowed right now. If you are here, I don't want to leave not giving you an opportunity to say, I, I, I want to experience that love. I want to encounter that story. I want John's story to be my story. Maybe part of it is you've caught up with baby Jesus. You think you can just do whatever. Maybe you've caught up with all sorts of images. I want you to be caught up with the wonder and the glory of what the Bible says Jesus is glorious. His face outshines the brightest sun. Maybe it's lukewarmness. You've just got stuck. Would you make a decision today to worship Him? Would you make a decision today to be loved by Him? Would you make that decision? I can't make it for you. But if you are here and you're saying, I want to make a decision for Jesus. I choose Jesus. I choose His love today. Maybe you were dragged here. That's okay. <laughs> Jesus knows. Will you just give me a little wave? I'd love to pray with you. If there's anyone here. Awesome. A couple of hands. It's awesome. This is not some kind of Christian auction. This is the love of God. I don't know if I did a great job at presenting Him today. Right now. Every person, Lord, that has made a decision for you, Jesus, 
I pray like John, would they encounter you right now where you are. In your heart, say, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you that you've washed me clean. Thank you that I'm born again. Thank you, Father, for your grace. I receive new life today. We thank you, King. We worship you, Jesus. We give you all the glory. Today, he is alive. He is risen. He is for you.